Good morning, I'm Pastor Allen. I'm glad that you're here. <clears throat> Starting a new series uh, for three weeks. We're going to talk about who needs Christmas. And today we're going to talk about the world did or the world does. <clears throat> but the title of this series, uh, you can kind of take a couple different ways. Like, yeah, who needs Christmas? Or who needs Christmas? Christmas decorations and, and cookies and all the other shopping and all the stuff that comes with it. So <clears throat> hopefully you can join us for these three weeks. And Christmas in the Valley, we were talking about earlier, that's specific, our Christmas Eve service at 5 o'clock, uh, well, it be two weeks from today, right? Whew, getting close, isn't it? All right, so <clears throat> this may be, uh, feel, seem a little strange to you, but as a pastor, I don't look forward to Christmas, speaking at Christmas. It's like, after 40 years, what else can I say about a baby being born in a, in a stable that I haven't said already over and over again? So it's a challenge for me to, to uh, bring uh, teachings and messages that are, are helpful and, and maybe a little creative. And so that's my challenge. But the whole Christmas story is, is, is I tend to be a skeptic, it's a little kind of hard to take, isn't it? Let's be honest. And if some of you aren't committed Jesus followers, we're glad that you're here. And we can understand how it's, it's hard to understand all that angel stuff and especially that virgin birth thing. That, you know, that, that's a little hard to believe. And it's interesting because we have four stories of the life of Christ. We call them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These four different guys wrote these four stories of the life of Christ. Matthew and Luke tells us all this stuff we know about uh, the Christmas story. Mark and John, guess what? Don't even mention it. It wasn't even important enough for them to include in the story. So, <clears throat> I think one conclusion we can make from that this isn't critical to being a Jesus follower. What is critical? Jesus, see, Jesus never told us to remember his, remember his birth. It's the biggest holiday in the United States, but he never told us to remember that. What did he tell us to remember? His death and resurrection. That's what Christianity stands or falls on. You've got to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He lived a perfect life. He died, and he came back to life. So the birth thing is kind of almost a side thing. Most of us believe it's all true. And, uh, but if you don't, we're so glad you're here, and I think this will be helpful to you. <clears throat> now, what makes the Christmas story even more remarkable is the backstory, And that's what I want to spend some of the time talking about, uh, about today. God makes this promise to a guy 2,000 years before Jesus that is just completely crazy almost. In fact, we're going to call it uh, the unbelievable, incoherent, impossible promise. So if I was to make you an unbelievable, incoherent, impossible promise, you wouldn't believe it, would you? But since this promise actually becomes, somebody believes it, and it actually becomes true, proves not to be impossible. It gives credence to any other story we might tell, including the Christmas story. And when we look at it, I want you to look at it as a Jewish document. We're going to go, hey, we, we're going to look through some of the Old Testament. And this is a, the amazing thing is, in Judaism, this is their Bible. And this, is, this story has been uh, retained for 2,000 years up until the time of Christ. And now 4,000 years, this story has been retained. So think of it as the incredible way that, the, that Judaism has 
received this promise and kept this promise and retain it for us today. So we're going to start way back at the beginning of what we call our Bible, the beginning of what the Jewish Bible, and it's in Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> and the Lord comes and says to a guy by the name of Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your family father's family and go to the land that I will show you. Now back then, 4,000 years ago, there weren't a lot of people on the earth and the people that were lived basically, basically in clans or families and nobody moved. <laughs> nobody went anywhere. And so God comes to this guy by the name of Abram and I says, I want you to move. I want you to leave your homeland and I want you to go to some other place, some strange place. Now this is such an unbelievable request in the first place. And why would this guy named Abram actually do this? I got to thinking about this. Well, why, why, did, why did Jesus come into Mary and Joseph's family? Why did God choose them? And the only answer I can come up with is this. Back when I was a teenager, when I was 17, I have a brother who's 15. He had a birthday last uh, Friday, Pearl Harbor Day. Anyway, when uh, we started going to church when I was about 13 or 14, he, he, he went, he got baptized when I did, and he was as active in the church as I was. But when I, when I felt God wanted me to be a pastor, I did not have, quote unquote, the personality of a pastor. Uh, very shy, very introverted. You know, I loved church, I loved the, all that kind of stuff. Well, so did my brother, but my brother had this engaging personality, and he, he was funny, and people, uh, you know, liked listening to him. So, if you transported me back to when I was 17 and, and somebody was looking at my family and say, which one of your sons, there was three boys at that stage, were going to be a pastor, I would be the least likely candidate. It kind of remembers that story about uh, picking David as the king, right? The least likely candidate. So why did God pick Abram? Why did God pick Mary and Joseph? Why did God pick me? Why did God pick some of you? And the only answer I can come up with is this. Because I was willing to do it. I was willing to listen I was willing to follow through it. Evidently, that's why he picked Abraham, because Abraham actually did it. He actually left and went to this strange place. And so then he makes a promise to this, to this, 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 this guy in this small place on the you know, other side of the planet from us. Not many people, certainly not anybody important. And he says, I will make you a great nation, Abram. They weren't even nations back then, probably. <clears throat> I will bless you and make you famous. Now, can you imagine? <laughs> this was somewhere over in the near, in the, in the near East. And uh, 4,000 years ago. Um, did we know anybody that lived then? <laughs> Other than this guy? Uh, there, yeah, there, there was nobody famous. I mean, I'm sure there were some people famous, but not for famous for very long. And he's making this promise to this guy, saying, you're going to be famous. And you're going to be a blessing to others. Now, Abram's probably like 75 years old at this point. He has no children, no likelihood of children. And so, <clears throat> this is just kind of a pipe dream, right? You're going to be a father of a great nation, which means you're going to have a bunch of kids, and they're going to have a bunch of kids, and eventually there's going to be, you know, he says, it's like stars in the sky, it's just incomprehensible. It's impossible, right? 75-year-old guy. And he says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families in the earth, all the families in the whole entire earth are going to be blessed through you, Abram. 
Now, do nations bless other nations back then? Do nations bless other nations today as a rule? No. What do nations do to other nations? I put this on your screen. They conquer them, enslave them, and plunder them. You look at the history of the world, 90 plus percent of nations, that's what they've done. Now, it's, it's kind of strange to us because Americans, we kind of don't do that, do we? We have done that. But we are, tend to be benevolent to other nations. And that's only because we're on this side of the cross and there's a Christian influence in our nation. We can look at nations and there's no Christian influence in Africa and other parts of the world. And this is what they do, right, to each other. They conquer, enslave, and plunder. And so this is just incomprehensible, this promise to this nobody that he's going to be famous and he's going to bless all the nations of the world. Crazy. But here's the thing. Abraham chose to believe this unbelievable promise. He did. And so if you know your Old Testament, you know that he gets his name changed to Abraham and eventually he has a son, a promised child. Actually, he has two sons. And uh, his son Isaac has twin sons. And we put Jacob in this lineage because he's the second born, which means he shouldn't be in the lineage. But why is he here? <laughs> because he steals the birthright from his brother, right? And part of the problem is his dad liked Esau better and the mom liked Jacob better. I don't know what your, how dysfunctional your family is, but just read the Old Testament sometime. This function, Abraham at one point told, told his king his wife was his sister so the king wouldn't kill him and maybe take his wife into, into the harem. I mean, just dysfunctional on top of dysfunction. And Jacob eventually <clears throat> has 12 children, right? And the first 10 hated num child number 11. His name was Joseph. Remember that story? And so they're going to kill him and then they finally decided just to sell him because at least you make some money off of selling him. We don't make anything if we kill him. And they lie to his father. Eventually, of course, Joseph winds up as the second most powerful person in the world, in Egypt, and he actually rescues his family, his clan, from starvation, and he brings them all down to Egypt. <clears throat> While they're in Egypt, over the next 400 years, they become a nation. But what kind of nation do they become? A slave nation. Not much chance of being a blessing to the world as a slave nation, does it? They probably were a blessing to the Egyptians because they worked for them for free. And then a guy by the name of Moses comes along, right? And by the time he's finished, are the Israelites a blessing to the Egyptians? Now, disaster after disaster after disaster. And then 40 years later, uh, Joshua brings the Israelites into, back into the promised land, back where Abram went, or Abraham went, many years, hundreds and hundreds of years before. And so they slaughter all the people that are living there. Well, they weren't much of a blessing to the people that were living there then, were they? It's just such violence. If you look at the Old Testament, we think of all this violence, it's just hard for us to comprehend. But that's life without Christ, that's, that's normal. We even see it today. And eventually, it grows into a, to a kingdom. And they get their first king, Saul, and their second king, David, and then the nation starts to prosper. And they get their greatest king, Solomon. And at this point, the nation of Israel is actually in the position of a world power. So, hey, it looks like it may be this possible that this promise to Abraham hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, it could come true through the nation of Israel, through Solomon, right? 
But Solomon makes some dumb mistakes. He marries some, some foreign go- uh, uh, women who worship foreign gods, and he begins to start worshiping them. And instead of becoming a, a, a greater power and an influence in the world, the nation is divided after he dies. Kingdom is divided. Hundreds of years go by, and the northern kingdom gets carried off and devastated by the Assyrians. Basically, it doesn't exist anymore. <clears throat> a couple hundred years later, the southern kingdom around Jerusalem, Judah, is about to be carried off by the Babylonians, and God gives a message to the Israelites through a prophet by the name of Isaiah. All right? Northern kingdom destroyed, the southern kingdom about to be destroyed, and God gives this message to the Israelites. Now, if you're living in Israel at this point, what are you going to think about the words of the prophet Isaiah? You would do more, to re- <coughs> you would do more than restore the people of Israel to me, So it's going to become more than a restoration. I will make you a light to the Gentiles. A light to the Gentiles. We're barely existing amongst ourselves. And I will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. We can't even save ourselves. In fact, we're going to be carried off as slaves for 70 years into Babylon. This This is a joke. Who would even say this? If this was God's message to the Israelites. Hundreds of years pass, the Israelites come back, um, they rebuild the temple, and then God gives this message, this is 400 years before Jesus, he gives this message to the prophet Malachi, all right? Again, they're just kind of a, a nobody nation, small, nobody cares about them, they're not important, but my name is to be honored by the people of other nations from morning till night. What are you talking about, God? We're nobodies. All around the world, they'll offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name. People, most of the people in the world don't even know we exist. For my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of heaven's armies. This almost sounds like one of those pep talks you give to somebody that's, you know, nothing good's going to happen, but you're trying to make them feel better, right? That's what it sounds like. It's almost pathetic. And if you know world history, then the Greeks become a world power. And after the, and Alexander the Great, and after the Greeks become the Romans. And the Romans become this great world power. And they conquer much of the world, including this little country of Israel, right? And in 63 BC, the Roman, one of the Roman generals marches into Jerusalem. He conquers Jerusalem. He draw, he, history says he drove his horse into the temple, which would desecrate the temple. And he actually goes into the Holy of Holies. And the reason he did that was because all the ancient religions had these ancient gods, these ancient idols. So he goes into the Holy of Holies to find the idol of the God of the Israelites. And he didn't find one. There isn't one. And he's thinking, this is such a pathetic religion, they don't even have a God. They don't have an idol to worship. And so this is the backstory. Of the Christmas story. So, what would we say about the Christmas story? All the nations would not be blessed through Abraham. Doesn't look like it, right? Looks like the <laughs> a silly, silly idea. Israel would not become a light to the Gentiles. They are under Roman occupation. They're barely existing. And certainly the Jewish God were not going to be worshipped throughout the whole world. Maybe the Roman gods, Zeus and all the Roman gods, but certainly not Yahweh, the Jewish God, right? 
Paul later writing about this, he says this. <clears throat> this is in Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the right time came, just the right time, uh, God, you sure? Doesn't look very good. Right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Why was it the right time? Up until now, the history of the world, it never had been a time when they were, the world was connected with roads and ships and a common language like it was 2,000 years ago. It was just the right time. But who was expecting it to be the right time? Oh, the Jews were expecting some Messiah to come and throw, away, throw off the Romans, but they weren't expecting to become this nation, a, a light to the Gentiles. Nobody was expecting it. So now we get to the Christmas story as, in this case, how Luke tells it to us. So God sent this angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. Now I was trying to get us to understand how unbelievable this is. So let's just kind of try this scenario. Nobody told me at the first service if it worked or not. Can you imagine the United States being the world? All right? And so, in our world of the United States, I was trying to think of kind of like, what's kind of like the most insignificant part of the country? Something like Montana. If you're from Montana, I'm not insulting Montana. It's just a really small population of people kind of out there away from everybody. Or Alaska, if you prefer. And so, we go to Montana, and we don't go to the biggest cities of Montana. We go out to the country outside of the biggest city of Montana, Montana, and we find this young teenage couple. And we say to them, your child is going to be the son of God, and we're going to see the promise it's going to make about the son of God. How probable is that? It's almost incomprehensible, right? So this angel comes, <clears throat> this, well, this young woman, in this kind of God-forsaken part of the world, occupied by the Romans, in a village in Nazareth, nowhere near Jerusalem, out in the country, to a virgin named Mary. Now, people all over, the, this is 2,000 years later, right? People all over the world, when you mention Mary, think of this woman, don't they? How is that possible? This, nobody, 2,000 years ago, in this no, a place of significance. She was engaged, as you know the story, to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now this is important because David is a descendant of who? Abraham. Remember Abraham? The promise God made to Abraham 2,000 years before this? And the Jews had held on to that promise no matter how unlikely it seemed and the text had been preserved. So he was a descendant of King David. He was a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the angel Gabriel appears to her <clears throat> and says, all right, greeting, hi, hello, how you doing? <laughs> Favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now, how are you going to act? You're a teenage girl, right? And this angel comes to you and says, Hey, hi there. You're, you're special. God has picked you out. Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible's honest. It tells us. True feelings. <clears throat> she was confused and disturbed. That's an understatement, right? 
confused and disturbed. Disturbed and confused because an angel speaking to her or confused and disturbed because of the message the angel had to give. Hey, you're going to get pregnant and you're not going to ever be with Joseph. So she's trying to figure this out. She's trying to figure out what all this could mean. And the angel says, don't be afraid because he's just scary, sure. See an angel, it's scary to be thinking the things that this angel is going to be telling her. For if you had found favor with God, me, I'm not even special. Why would I have any favor with God? God knows even if I exist. And here's the promise. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you'll name him Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah. And that's not possible. I'm a nobody. From a no, not, no place important. This can't be, can't be true. The promise goes on. He says, you will be very, he will be very great, Jesus. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. My Son? Going to be called the Son of the Most High? The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. You mean he's going to be a king? Well, kind of. Not what she might have been thinking. <coughs> and then this statement. And he will reign over Israel forever. And his kingdom will never end. Well, there's never been a kingdom that never ends. You know, the Greeks came and they went. The Romans came and they're going to go. And other nations come and they go. But this is the promise (laughs) that the angel made, of course, was from God, to this young lady named Mary. How likely is that? How possible is that? How improbable is that? Here's something I want you all to think about. Does God keep his promises? No matter how improbable, impossible, unlikely they may be, God always keeps his promises. It may take longer than we expect. 2,000 years is a long time, right? But God keeps his promises. So can we say this about the Christmas story then? All the nations would be blessed through Abraham? Has the gospel been spread to all the nations of the world? Pretty much. We're still working on it. That's one reason we've given money to the missionaries working in all other parts of the world. It's been going on for 2,000 years. Has Israel been a light to the Gentiles? I mean, just ask, how many Jewish people we have in here today? None. We have None. We all are proof of the fact <laughs> that Israel will be a light to the Gentiles, that we worship a Jewish God, so to speak, right? Yahweh. How probable is that? And the Christian story of the Jewish God would be worshipped throughout the world. There are churches all over this world that are celebrating this Christmas that we celebrate. Folks, you can't make this up. You wouldn't make this up, would you? 2,000 years later, God made this impossible, improbable, incomprehensible promise to a nobody named Abram, and it came true. So if the stories around Christmas are a little hard to understand, 
How much more improbable is this promise to Abraham? So who needs Christmas? Who needs Christmas? See, God is active even when he seems like he's not. When he told Isaiah and when he told Malachi, yeah, 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 just, just hang in there. <laughs> this is going to happen because I'm God and I keep my promises. God is interested in the affairs of men. He is involved. And that's why the world needs Christmas. Let me just say this, and this is so important, I say it quite often. See, God can be trusted, folks. I know it's hard for us sometimes, but God can be trusted, especially when it doesn't seem like he can be. Why Christmas? Because the world needed hope. The world needed light. The world needed deliverance. The world needed salvation. They needed a Christ. So who needs Christmas? The world needs Christmas. Now the interesting thing is, you've got to be here next week with your ugly sweater. You've got to be here next week because not only did the world need Christmas, God needed Christmas. Hopefully you can join us. Let's pray. We'll have a song and let you go. <clears throat> God is such an amazing, unbelievable, incomprehensible, almost impossible promise you made to this guy named Abraham. 4,000 years ago. Yet we see in the, in the Christmas story the, the unfolding, the, the, the answer to that, that promise. And then the 2,000 years since, there's this person named Mary. Her name is known all over the world and she was a nobody. Who became a somebody because you, God, favored her. You chose her. You picked her. And God, it's true of any and all of us. You will choose, you will favor those who are willing to believe. They're willing to trust you. To, tr to believe your promises. Whatever they might be. I mean, we have promises in Scripture. But we have individual promises and callings. You call me and into pastoral ministry. I've been doing this for 40 years, God, and I can't imagine my life any other way. But at 17, I couldn't see it. God, so I just pray for these folks here that they would see what you see in them. The possibilities. The impossibilities that become possibilities. And we thank you for a Christ that would be willing to come to earth and die. We thank you for a Mary and Joseph that would be obedient. We thank you for an Abraham that would do the most improbable and be obedient. God, what an example to us. We pray for anybody that's not a Jesus follower and may have a hard time believing some of this stuff. But really what's important to believe is that the God of the Abraham, the God of Mary and Joseph, the God of many of us here, is God that we trusted. And a God that loves us enough to send the only son to earth to die, not only to die, but to conquer death and raise from the dead. You can struggle with the other things. This is what you and I believe. To believe, God, so those folks that may be struggling, may be questioning, may be doubting, God, just give them the courage 
and um, better word, faith, to start to follow. Just to start to follow. I, I, I want to try, and uh, try this. I want to see if you, God, can be trusted. And God, you will prove yourself to be faithful. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.